The Quinn family seems to be known these days by their collective involvement in sports. I love to watch my kids play sports. I know that you probably love to watch your kids play sports or be involved in music or any other endeavor that you really, really enjoy watching them grow and mature and be involved in. For us, it seems to be sports, all kinds of athletic events on the football field or the basketball court or the soccer field, wherever it is, I have thoroughly enjoyed watching them through the years come to understand a lot about life through their playing of sports. For certainly, there are many, many lessons about life that you can learn through sports endeavors. It was true of myself. And when I was a kid like they are now, I was involved in all kinds of sports, football, baseball, basketball, track and field. It was an opportunity to learn a lot of life lessons. And when I watch my kids today, I just love to think and talk about their exploits. Have you ever had a, a doting parent or a grandparent who wants to whip out the billfold or the purse and show you all the pictures of the grandkids? It's really natural. And it's really fun. I just a couple of weeks ago had the opportunity to watch my son Logan play the quarterback position for his high school football team. And they were down 40 to 21 heading really near the end of the third quarter. And they were able with their two minute offense running it very, very quickly in this particular game because they were behind and they scored just as the third quarter was coming to a close. And in the fourth quarter, it was fast and furious and we scored a couple of more times and uh, we were still behind as Logan faced a fourth and 23. Now, if you know anything about sports, you know that fourth and 23 is not a good position to be in. Just prior to that, we had another fourth down situation in which the ball fell incomplete. But just as the ball was being released and maybe just a step or two behind, Logan was racked by a defensive player and the referee, thank the Lord, called a penalty, roughing the pastor. I leaned over and told my wife, I've never wanted my son to be hit so much in his life. We had a reprieve. And on fourth down and 23, the ball went sailing through the air. And Logan's favorite receiver, Greg Bowie, came down with the ball in the end zone with one minute and 11 seconds to go. And Arkansas Baptist kicks the point after touchdown to go ahead 41 to 40. We held on as they drove downfield and as the last receiver picks up the ball from the quarterback and runs to our 19-yard line, we're tackled as time expires. It allowed us to get into the playoffs, and even this Friday we have a home playoff game. And I just love watching my son play. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. I love to watch my girls play basketball. I love to watch all kinds of sports endeavors, especially when my own kids are involved. But, you know, that really pales in comparison to what I really, really, really love to do. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. 
I love to proclaim and enjoy the word of life. In fact, that's the title of our message this morning. Proclaiming and enjoying the word of life. As much as I want to see my kids grow and as much as I want to see them mature physically and when I see them do that on an athletic court or field, I'm overjoyed because I'm watching them learn a great many lessons about life that some of them can be learned in a unique way on that field or on that court. But I have to say to you that there is no greater joy. And John the Apostle even says that in Second John 4 and Third John 4, that there is no greater joy than to see my children, what? Walking in the truth. As much as you want to see your children be involved in whatever they're involved in, and as much as you want to see them succeed, and as much as you want them to compete and win the prize, whatever that prize may be, there is, according to the Word of God, no greater joy than to see our children not walking in uh, physical maturity as a result of a game, but walking in the truth of knowing Jesus Christ by faith. If you were to ask parents, and you may be even one of them yourself, what is your greatest heartache? It probably isn't going to be that your son or your daughter missed out on that piano recital or that ball game or that endeavor for which they did not win the prize. No doubt your greatest heartache would be something like this. My child is not walking with the Lord. My son or my daughter does not yet know the Lord. Some of you even have the heartache of realizing that your adult son or daughter is still not walking with the Lord. Still not walking in the truth. May I say to you that if that's your greatest heartache, then certainly the greatest joy is to know that you're passing on the legacy of spiritual truth to your children. That's the greatest joy. That's the thing that you want to proclaim from the housetops. You want to be able to say to everyone around that my son or my daughter or all of my children, however many you may have, are all walking with Christ. They're walking in the truth. And there is no greater proclamation. There is no greater enjoyment than to know that you are proclaiming yourself and your family as a family, the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. No greater joy. That is precisely what the Apostle John wants to tell us in this book. In fact, as we read that entire book this morning, if you were really understanding it, you would understand three major themes that we're going to see over and over and over again from this book. And those themes are these. Truth. Obedience and joy. Truth, obedience, and joy. Everywhere you look in the book of 1 John, you're going to find something about truth. The truth, especially, about who Jesus is and how John wants to refute the heresies of his day who were attempting to portray, to proclaim a different Christ, a different gospel. 
a different work of God in the life of Christians. You're also, when you read 1 John, going to be seeing that right on the heels of not simply just knowing truth, there is the matter of obedience. That you just don't know the truth by way of head knowledge. You don't just have it in your mind so that you can refute others around you. You instead have the truth in your heart, in your mind, for the opportunity to obey Jesus Christ because you know who he truly and really is. And it even doesn't stop there. Not only is it your apprehension of truth, not only is it your opportunity to obey that truth, but it is also your privilege to have the joy of obedience as you regard the truth of the word of God. You see, it's like a three-legged stool. You have truth, you have obedience, and you have joy in your life because you are understanding who God is through Christ. You're understanding how rightly to obey Him. And as a result, you have the joy unspeakable because you are right with God. You see, my friends, that's far greater than watching someone In a sports event far greater because while sports may be able to teach us lessons or whatever else would be your hobby or your avocation, what is far greater both for here and the life to come is that you do know that you are right with God, that you do know that you are obeying him and you're doing that with a settled conviction of joy because God is pleased with you. As a result of what Christ has done on the cross for you. That's in essence the theme of 1 John. And John wants to introduce it to us. Notice what he says here in 1 John 1, 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want to present a message to you this morning. And if you see the outline before you, two main outline points, proclaiming the word of life, verses one to three, and enjoying the word of life. Verse four, very, very simple outline. Very easy for us to grasp, at least on the surface, that we are, as the greatest opportunity, the greatest privilege in our lives, to proclaim and enjoy the word of life. That's what John wants to tell us. He wants to tell us in this prologue how we can proclaim and enjoy the word of life, which, of course, is Christ. Now, underneath that first outline point, I want you to notice underneath proclaiming the word of life, four 
distinct ways in which John the Apostle wants to show us how to proclaim the true Christ. Number one, proclaiming the eternal word, proclaiming the eternal word. Notice what John says in first John one, one, that which was from the beginning. Now, what does John mean by the beginning up our case? What does he mean when he says from the beginning? Does he mean from the beginning of Christ's incarnation? That would make a lot of sense. Christ being revealed, of course, in human form when he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, ministered in Galilee. It would make a lot of sense for John the Apostle to say that which was from the beginning, referring to the incarnation of Christ. And certainly I believe that's implied there. But I believe that because John is the writer, of course, of first, second, third John, the book of Revelation and the gospel of John, that if you put all of those books together, and especially if you look at John's prologue in his gospel, I believe you could make a case that John is actually referring to the beginning of eternity past. Look back in John chapter one, verse one. John one, one, you know it well, I'm sure. And John one, one. We're told in those tremendous opening words of the prologue to his gospel, in the beginning was the word. And that surely signals for us that he is talking about eternity past. In the beginning was the word. How do we know that? Because the word was with God And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. That is surely a reference to the idea that Jesus Christ had no actual beginning that he is forever. He was in the beginning with God. And that's what I think. John is referring to in 1 John 1. You say, how so? Well, think of it this way. As I told you, there were heresies that were extant in that day. Now, I really wish we knew exactly what all of those heresies were. It would make it a lot easier for us to know exactly what John the Apostle is trying to refute. We can do our best to try to piece some of it together. But we're going to be bound by all of the historical separation of time and all of the challenges of language not to be able to know exactly what these heresies were. And so we don't know with precision exactly whom John is referring to or whom he might be refuting. But it's safe to say that even in some kind of embryonic form, there were some heresies in the church that either denied the deity of Jesus Christ or the humanity of Christ. It's safe to say that. With all that we do know and with all that we know John was refuting as best our history allows us to, we know that there were the kinds of heresies that were denying either the deity or the humanity of Christ or, of course, both. And I think what John the Apostle is doing in this prologue is that he's telling us 
that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And that Christ, to show us his deity, was in the beginning with God. That which, or, and I think very well you could translate this also, he whom. He whom from the beginning. Christ was from the beginning, from eternity past, with God. In fact, look also at some of those other references in Habakkuk 1.12. In Habakkuk 1.12, you have this affirmation of the eternality of God. Habakkuk 1.12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? My Holy One, we shall not die. God is everlasting. Even the book of Micah shows this to us as well. The book of Micah tells us in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And notice the designation, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. That signals for us that there's going to come someone who is not of human origin. Someone who had an existence as the ancient days themselves. Someone who had no real beginning. And John is proclaiming to us that this Jesus, this word of life, had no beginning. In other words, he's proclaiming the eternal word. The eternal word. He didn't have a beginning. Secondly, notice that John is also proclaiming what I call the living word. Notice Back again at 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, or he whom, who was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now you see what he's doing. John is saying that I'm not only proclaiming to you That there is an eternal word. I'm also proclaiming to you that that eternal word has come into time. And that that eternal word is a living word. And notice how he brings the word's existence. He brings the word's reality into space and time. Notice how he does it. We have heard this living word. And don't think anything other than what John is Simply saying, literally saying, we've heard, which means they've heard the proclamation of Christ. They've heard from Christ. They've heard directly from Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter two, you can hear this apostolic note about hearing from the person of Christ. In chapter two, verse three, the Bible says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared this salvation at first by the Lord, that is the Lord himself, and it was attested to us, the apostolic band and those who were the writers of the New Testament, by those who heard. 
when you proclaim Christ. You're proclaiming Christ because of the testimony of the apostles themselves who have given down through the ages and actual testimonial that they have heard directly from Christ. They were eyewitnesses. And notice what else, what else he says here. We have seen. We've looked upon this word. And we have touched this living word. That can't be anything other than a reference to the apostles and those closely associated with the apostles who have actually seen and gazed upon and touched and beheld the Savior himself. You know what they're doing? They're saying we affirm the humanity of Jesus Christ. And this is the first of those three themes that I'm telling you out of First John. Truth, obedience and joy. They're telling you the truth. And they're saying we were eyewitnesses. You remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when he says in Second Peter chapter 1, We were with him on the holy mountain. We were there. We saw with our own eyes. We heard with our own ears. God the Father himself saying, this is my son. Hear him. This is my beloved son. And he even says, we have touched him. We've beheld him. They actually had the awesome privilege of touching the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. That's a that's an eyewitness testimony. And you know what John is doing. He's refuting any of those heresies that were extant in that day by saying something like this. Well, even if we affirm the deity of Jesus Christ, we don't affirm the humanity of Christ. And John would say, you must affirm the humanity of Christ because we were eyewitnesses of all that he did. We saw all of his miracles. We actually touched him. We saw him. We heard him. He was a man. He wasn't, as some of those ancient heresies were saying, he was a phantom spirit. Oh, he might have been some kind of apparition. He might have been some kind of vision. He might have been someone uh, who appeared to be a man, but he wasn't really fully a man. And if you know anything about ancient heresies and how they recycle themselves each and every century, guess what? Ancient Gnosticism, and this may have been some sort of incipient form of a pre-Gnosticism, Gnosticism itself has recycled right to our own day. How many of you have heard about the Gospel of Thomas? The Gospel of Judas? Yes, those are actually ancient Gnostic Documents. The word Gnosticism is simply a word that speaks of those who believe they had some kind of higher or secret knowledge. And they believed in this, um, this spirit world in which it didn't always appear as reality what you might be seeing with your eyes. In fact, they may have even believed, of course, that Jesus was not fully a man. He was not like you and me, save sin, of course. They might have presumed that God would have given uh, his son some kind of form, but he wasn't fully a man. And John the Apostle is saying, no, I touched him. I saw him. We actually looked upon him. We gazed upon him. We touched 
him. He's really affirming, my friends, the truth of the full humanity of Christ. Notice what else he says. Look at the third distinct way he proclaims Jesus here. He's proclaiming the manifested word. First, the eternal word. He was in the beginning, in eternity past. He was fully divine. He had a co-extensive relationship with the Father, co-equal in every way. And he was born into time so that he was fully human, so that John the Apostle and the other apostles could say, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we gazed upon him. And then he also says, we are proclaiming to you the manifested word. Notice verse 2, first part of it. The life was made manifest. Now that is not necessarily a word that we use often. But it really means that the life was revealed. The life came into existence. You remember again, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And that is affirming His eternality, His deity, His relationship with the Father, His face-to-face relationship with the Father. Guess what John 1.14 says? And the word, what? Became flesh. Literally, the word was made manifest. The word was brought to us and we tabernacled with the word. That's what John is saying. The life was made manifest. What life? Concerning the word of life, the word which bestows life, the word which begets life. You know what John is absolutely thrilled beyond measure to proclaim? You know what you ought to be thrilled beyond measure to proclaim, even beyond your exploits, your kids' exploits, anything else in this old and tired world? It is the proclamation of the word of life. There's there's really nothing else by comparison. All things pale by comparison. You think it's really important ultimately to God that someone throws a touchdown on 4th and 23 and wins a game? Ultimately, the most important thing is to get the gospel right. It's, It's to get the truth right. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is both fully divine and fully human. And wonder of all wonders, even beyond such a thing, that life was manifested to us through this apostolic testimony. Notice how he repeats it again. He says, the life was made manifest, verse 2, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. That's how the word is manifested. We've seen it. We testify to it and we proclaim to you this manifested word. You understand that what John is doing is sort of going through a cycle. It's somewhat difficult to outline first John because as you read these verses, it's almost in some kind of cylindrical fashion where it's just sort of uh, revolving back around itself. 
He's saying, we've seen, we've heard, we've seen, we've heard. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard and touched this word of life. And if you don't get it in the first or second time, he repeats it again and again. Why? Because he's refuting the old ancient heresies that says that Jesus himself was either not divine or not fully human. And John says, don't miss this. I am proclaiming to you the eternal word and the living word and the word which was manifested to you. And please notice all of the emphasis in this manifested word using that term life four times here. Look at verse one of chapter one, the word of Life, right at the end of verse 1. Look at the first part of verse 2. The life was made manifest. The end of verse 2. I proclaim to you the eternal life. And he says that it is this life. The life that was made. The life that was manifest. The word of life. Jesus my friends, is the only one who can bestow life. He's the only one that can beget life, spiritual life, eternal life. Don't for one minute, John says, think that you can uh, dismiss the fully human, fully divine Christ because he's the only one who can manifest life. It's the person of Jesus and his message, and he brings life to the world. And then look fourthly, proclaiming the shared word. This is amazing. This is not just an eternal word, not just a living word, not just a manifested word, not just that he was tabernacled among us, not just that he was revealed, but you and I have the awesome privilege of being able to share in this word. Look at verse three. That which we have seen and heard. There we are again. As though he needs to remind us that which we have seen or whom we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What is he doing? Two things here. One, he's proclaiming Christ, which brings about corporate fellowship. Look at the first part of verse three. So that you too may have fellowship with us. You see how truth relates to life? A lot of you would say, you know, I love fellowship. Boy, I need fellowship in my life. I can't wait to have fellowship. And fellowship is sweet to me. And it is so very sweet to me, too. I like nothing better than after a service, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, to see people talking in the hallways, talking in some of our bigger rooms, talking in smaller rooms, talking in the parking lot, calling each other on the phone, talking with each other, finding out about how they're doing spiritually, not just the trivialities of life, but the deep things of life, wanting to know how the other is doing, wanting to be able to, to know so that we can pray and nurture and encourage and love one another. That is so rich. Fellowship is one of the greatest joys, greatest gifts that could ever be given in the Christian life. But notice, notice what John is saying. There is no way that you can proclaim that shared word without understanding the corporate fellowship that we have with one another that is directly related to truth. You say, how so? 
What does he say? This life was made manifest, verse 2, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you for the very purpose that you too may have fellowship with us. Guess what? No truth, no truth about Christ, no truth about his full deity and his full humanity, no real genuine fellowship. See the connection? He says right here, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim. You see, fellowship is all about a prior proclamation so that you too, that's a purpose clause, so that for the purpose that you too may have fellowship with us, the apostolic band. You notice how he keeps saying we, 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 our. He's talking about the apostolic band. He's talking about his brethren. He's talking about those who were eyewitnesses, those who were proclaiming the gospel like he was. And he's saying... There is no true fellowship. There is no genuine fellowship apart from the truth of the word of God, apart from the truth of proclaiming the full divinity and full humanity of Jesus. Now, does that put a premium of importance on doctrine? We have churches, my friends, all over the country who will emphasize in a message like this today and in a passage even like this, the essence of what genuine God wrought Heaven-blessed fellowship is all about. And they're going to emphasize fellowship. And they're going to emphasize the joy of it and the need for it. And yet, they will not do so by the proclamation of it. And the only legitimate proclamation is what he says. We've seen it. We've heard it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, the eternal life that is Jesus Christ, who was with the Father from all eternity past. And he was made manifest to us, revealed to us in time, in the person of the humanity of Jesus, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also, so that when all of that is proclaimed and when all of that is affirmed, you may have true and genuine fellowship. You don't have it if you don't have Christ. You know, there are a lot of people that enjoy one another's company, but you can find that in a bar. You can find that at the local Kiwanis Club. You can find that in a hospital around someone who's sick. You can find that in a restaurant. You, you can find people mulling around and talking about all that they like and all that they want to do and Maybe every once in a while they'll find out about you and what you like and what you want to do. But you know what's missing? The proclamation of the full divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ that really makes true, genuine fellowship possible. There isn't any fellowship apart from it. Not true fellowship. Not genuine fellowship. You say, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Do you realize that the whole book of 1 John will cycle through this idea of truth? And we read it this morning, and it'll say things like this. If the truth is not in you, you're a what? A liar. If you don't have the truth in you, you don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If, if somebody were to say, I can have fellowship, I can have relationship with people, I can hang around... People can be around me, and I don't necessarily have to emphasize or articulate or proclaim doctrine. Guess what? It's not Christian fellowship. And you can even be a part of a church. 
You, you can even be a part of a prayer meeting. But if it isn't a prayer meeting or a church service or a care group or a community that are all going down the same page doctrinally about who Christ is and about the fact that he is fully divine and fully human, guess what? It's a sham. It's not true. That's why we have to be discriminating in the church. That's why we have to watch out for heresies. That's exactly what John is doing. He's telling the people to whom he writes, you, you can have genuine fellowship with us, but you have to do so by proclaiming the word of life. The eternal word that he was from the beginning. Uh, the living word that he came into time. The manifested word that he tabernacled among us. He was revealed to us as fully human and fully divine. And that he is a shared word that we only have fellowship as a result of the communion and the union that we have with Jesus Christ as the God man. You see, that's that's what he's saying. So we have corporate fellowship as a result of who Jesus is in his essence, who he really is. And he says, secondly here, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That is, that is a mind blower to me. You know what he's saying? Not only can you have fellowship with one another, not only can you have sweet fellowship on a horizontal level, but even that fellowship is predicated on the vertical fellowship that we have in union with the Trinity. That is, that is absolutely thrilling. It's better than any football game you've ever gone to. You say, how so? I don't get it. God invites us to partake of the communion of the Godhead. You, you've ever thought about that? God allows us to share in the fellowship of himself and his son. That's, that's too rich. That's, that's too much of an awesome privilege. I don't deserve that. You, you mean there's, there's a union with other believers that's sweet and lovely and wonderful and rich? Yes, but what's even better than that, wonder of all wonders... You talk about joy is the joy of knowing that I can actually have intimacy, relationship, fellowship, communion, sweetness with the Godhead. The one who created the world, the Christ who bore my sin on the cross and the Holy Spirit who applies that cross to my life so that I might believe and repent of my sins. Do you understand? It is the very Godhead itself that invites us into fellowship with them. That's what he says. And indeed, our fellowship is with the, the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, do you have that fellowship? You see, if you don't really believe who Jesus actually is, you don't have it. You, you have to affirm that he was from the beginning. You have to affirm that he was living in time and in space and that he bore our sins in his body on that tree and that he was manifested to be the savior of the world and the, that he's the word that begets life. He bestows it. He, he grants it only life in Christ. And by that, he allows us to share not 
in his essence, but in his communion, in his fellowship, in his presence. You say, how so? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes us, and when we're joined to the body of Christ, we actually have the awesome privilege of being joined to a communion of saints on a horizontal level by virtue of our union with God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's fellowship. That's real fellowship. And you know what? That's cause for joy. And that's our second and final outline point. That's cause for joy. Enjoying the word of life. Not just proclaiming it, but enjoying it. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be what? Complete. Full. We have the privilege of not only proclaiming the word of life, but of also enjoying him. Some of you may remember, and you may have even had your kids memorize this, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question, what is the chief end of man? What's the answer? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Oh, when I wake up, I want to be in your likeness. This is, this is the joy of all joys. You want to talk about joy at a football game? You want to talk about joy at a piano recital? You want to see your kids grow up and have all these advantages and all these privileges and all these prizes and they're reaching out to those things and you want them to have them and you just have all of this welling up in, within you that you are so pleased and you are so joyous. That doesn't even compare, my friends, to the joy of knowing the word of life. Not even a comparison. Pales by comparison. And he says, we're writing these things. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Letter A, the factual testimony of the written word. Notice what he says here. And we are writing these things. Could I just encourage you for a moment to thank God for the written scriptures? I wouldn't even be standing here. You wouldn't even be here if we didn't have the written scriptures. You know what he's saying? He's saying we have the eyewitness account that is then written down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we might have the factual testimony of the written word of God that tells us about who Jesus is. Do you realize the apostles are gone? Long gone. We, we don't have their eyewitness testimony anymore. But what we do have are their eyewitness testimonies given to us in the written word. John says this over and over and over again. He says it in 1 John. He says it in chapter 2 several times. He says it in chapter 5. He says it in 2 John. And he says it in 3 John. And he also says it in the Gospel of John. These things I've written, I'm writing, I write. Aren't you glad for the written word of God? This is the testimony. This is what we have. And as a result of the written word of God, we have secondly, the fullness of joy. Not just in the written word, but in the living word. I had recently a book that was signed by John MacArthur and in it he said, in both the written and living word. John MacArthur. That's, that's where we derive our joy, my friends. The joy. The fullness of joy, he says. Complete joy 
in both the written and the living word. That's first John one four. And we are writing these things, the written word, so that our joy may be complete in the living word, the word of life. David Wells, in his new and very illuminating book entitled The Courage to be Protestant, Truth Lovers, Marketers and Emergence in the Postmodern World, says this. The apostles joy arose from the fact that they had been freed from themselves. I like that. They'd been freed from themselves to serve the glorious God of the Bible. Here was to be found the ultimate meaning of life. The source of grace and the boundless wonder of glory. Yeah, they were they were delivered from themselves. Nobody has true joy until you realize how much you need to be delivered from yourself. You want to have a complete joy? You want to rejoice in the written word of God? Well, let me ask you. Whom do you proclaim? Your kids, their exploits, you say, no, I'm pretty much into myself. I'm proclaiming me. Well, whether it's yourself or your kids or your grandkids or somebody else, that's a paled comparison to the privilege that we have to proclaim the word of life. What's your highest ambition? What's your most lofty goal? Is it to proclaim Christ? How much time do you spend proclaiming Christ, the eternal word, the living word, the manifest word, the shared word, as over against your avocation, your hobby, your likes, your desires? Oh, I love to see them grow up and I love to see them succeed. But I want to proclaim, I want to enjoy the word of life. There's nothing like it. Thank you, my beloved people. Thank you from the depths of my heart that you've allowed me for almost 12 and a half years to proclaim and enjoy the word of life with you. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I would assume it would be every logical reason for us to proclaim and enjoy the word of life. Because if we say if we say we're Christians, why wouldn't we want to proclaim that which has made us Christians? Oh, deliver us from the world. Deliver us from vain pursuits. Deliver us from the lofty ambitions that have taken up residence within us. That have pushed out our needful and joyous proclamation. And that is that Jesus Christ is fully divine and fully human. And that we accept the testimony of John and those like him who saw the risen Christ, who touched him, who heard him, 
and who proclaim Him and who enjoy Him. Oh, Father, away with our trivialities. If they are getting in the way of our proclamation and enjoyment of the word of life, may you take them from us. Oh, I pray for everyone here that they would have this ultimate proclamation and enjoyment beyond every other pursuit and interest. May it be so, Lord. May it be so in my life. May it be so in their lives. And may we fully affirm the truth, the truth of who Jesus really is, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised again, that he was triumphantly ascended to you and that he is Savior and Lord and he comes to us and we in repentance and faith reach out our hands so that he might save us to deliver us from our very selves, from our sins. So that we would truly understand the joy of all joys. That we have fellowship. Not just with one another. But with the Father. And with His Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.